Hello, listeners. Welcome to Hope and Cope Stories podcast. This is episode number five. If this is the first episode you are listening to, welcome. My name is Jessica. I am a student at the Ingram School of Nursing working on a community project with the community organization Hope and Cope. We sent out a survey to the participants of Hope and Cope to assess their needs and interests in what we can offer as students from McGill to the community. Our results showed that participants are looking for community connections as well as to learn more about stress and coping mechanisms. We wanted to host a podcast to help reach our Hope and Cope community and allow individuals to connect through others' journeys in hopes of strengthening their relationship with the community. So now let's get on with the podcast. So to begin, we have Bronia. Would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So uh, my name is Bronia Zags. Um, I live in Montreal West, and um, right now I'm actually um, transmitting from Florida, <laughs> where I spent the winter, and it's very exciting to be a part of this project. Um, I just celebrated my 69th birthday last week, and um, I was diagnosed with lymphoma in April of 2021. I was treated at the Jewish General Hospital from April till August of 2021, and I am in full remission right now. Congratulations and happy birthday. So just a quick question. What drove you to participate in our podcast? Um, Well, one thing is that I myself am involved in producing a podcast in Montreal West at the Montreal West Library. I'm on the interview team. And I found that such an enriching experience. I really love it. So when I saw that you guys were doing a podcast, I said, hey, it's kind of a natural fit. I've always liked media and media-centered things. In my early 20s, I was a camera operator for a cable TV show called Women in Focus. And I really enjoyed that then too. And um, so when I, uh, like I said, when I got the email saying that you're doing a podcast and uh, I know I'm not shy to talk, so I thought, well, that could be a good opportunity for me to be on the other end and to be interviewed. We absolutely appreciate the time that you take to to be here with us today. Um, Just to break the ice, I'm going to give you a few words and you can reply with the first thing you think of. Um, For example, when I think of the beach, the first word that comes to mind is happiness for me. So the first word I'm going to give you is hope and cope. Uh, I think of caring. And what about stress? Fear. Yeah. What about family? Support. And meditation? Calm. Journaling? Truth. And exercise? Strength. Uh, What are some of your favorite pastimes? What do you do on your time off? Well, I'm retired, so all my time is time off. Um, I uh, worked for about uh, 15 years in uh, services for disabled people in different uh, readaptation centers, from being a educator to being a um, marketing uh, director for a large center with three different um, points of service with 250 uh, different people coming, and my job was to provide the contracts to bring in the work for these people to do on a daily basis, And then I um, got married and had three children in four years. And then I started working for my husband's company 
Um, he was in uh, construction. He's a general contractor, and we also owned some property. So I was working as a um, uh, real estate manager for another 15 years, doing it that part time while I um, helped raise the while I raised the kids while I helped raise the kids. So right now in my free time, I swim. I swim every day um, in a pool, and um, it's great. It really keeps my uh, my energy level up and it uh, helps with my, uh, um, not to get stiff or, you know, sort of feel the aches and pains of getting older altogether. And um, I also paint and I uh, write. I'm part of a writer's group and I uh, paint and um, sometimes I don't really sell most of my stuff. And I also sculpt I do sculpture stone sculpture in a private studio in Montreal West I enjoy that very much I was doing that when I'm in Montreal on a weekly basis and I like to read I like to play bridge I play bridge online now because of COVID I'm still my immunity is not a hundred percent because of the chemo that I had so I'm a little anxious about going to um, like a bridge club which I used to do a few years ago where there's like a hundred people here in uh, Fort Lauderdale where I am. So I play online because it's more secure and more safe for me. So I enjoy that. I, I play almost every day and uh, that's about it. Socialize with friends and, oh, and I'm part of the Hope and Cope Choir. So I do that once a week and I'm part of another music group, an open mic group where I do that also once a week on the Friday. So the Hope and Cope Monday and <laughs> singing on Friday, where I have a chance to perform some songs. I used to um, love to sing and uh, I used to sing sometimes with a group or uh, with a band. I used to perform when I was in my younger years in my twenties. So it was very, very nice for me to have this opportunity. I haven't really sung in a long time and here I have an opportunity to sing to a small audience, and uh, it's great because the um, also the uh, chemo affected my vocal cords, so my normal to high range kind of disappeared for a while, and my voice was very very low, and I could hardly project. And through the last year year and a half of you know singing twice a week, it's it's come back to itself, not as strong and as high as it used to be. Could also be age. But um, I'm just happy to have the opportunity to sing again and be appreciated for that. It really helps with the self-esteem. That's wonderful. I think you're active and like you're keeping yourself busy, which is great. I know that you said you were diagnosed in 2021. So how were you introduced to Hope and Cope and what brought you through this journey? Well, what happened is that um, I actually, a little history of how I was diagnosed because it plays into it. I went into hospital through the emergency because I was short of breath uh, one day in April. I could, I could hardly breathe. I went to the hairdresser and I was just walking from my car to, to the shop. And, and you know I was like <sighs> breathing really hard. I come in and she goes, what's the matter with you? And I said, I don't know. I, I can't catch my breath. I can hardly breathe. So my husband took me uh, to emergency the next morning, early in the morning. And they found out through some tests that two thirds of my red blood cells were gone. And so I had an immediate like uh, emergency procedure to have um, uh, transfusions. I ended up with seven transfusions in three days because my red blood cells, my white blood cells, which is the basis of uh, 
lymphoma were cancerous and they were killing my red blood cells. So it got to the point that's why I could hardly breathe. I didn't have enough oxygen going through my body. So I ended up staying for two weeks in the hospital the first time round and had my first chemo treatment also. I ended up calling a friend of mine uh, by the name of Jules Sarna just to tell her like, you wouldn't believe this, I'm in hospital and I just got diagnosed with lymphoma and blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, she says, my niece um, is working for Hope and Cope. She's a PR person, but she works for Hope and Cope and it's not too early to call them and see what their programs are. And I said, what? Like, I'm in, I'm in hospital, like, you know, barely breathing and transfusions and I'm getting chemo next week. I was like freaked out. And she says, well, maybe it's a bit too early to call now, but she says, here, I'm going to send you her name and, and um, you know, uh, her cell number and just tell her your story and, you know, she could at least introduce you to Hope and Cope and let tell you what kind of things are suitable for you. Because of the COVID situation, I understand that before COVID, Hope and Cope had quite a presence on the seventh floor and in the ward and in the chemo clinic and everything because they used to come around, I think, with sandwiches and coffee. And I know they have a, a booth or a, some space right at the um, seventh floor uh, um, clinic where they would have books and maybe people to talk to and everything but because of um, COVID they were not present like they weren't there they weren't advertising anything yeah there was a sign or a poster on the wall but like if you didn't really look like you wouldn't know about it so it's actually my friend that she mentioned it and I said like oh okay and uh, so I did call up her friend uh, her her niece henna and spoke with her and uh, she just said, well, you know, when you're feeling, when you're at a hospital and you're feeling better and you're in between your chemo treatments, you know, let me send you their website and you could take a look and see the kind of programs that are available. So that's when I saw that they had a little gym. I saw they had a support group. So um, I, don't, I forget the timing, but I did join a support group while I was in treatment still. And um, like I... Uh, also decided to go in and, and have a physical evaluation done to see what kind of exercise I could possibly do because I was worried like I didn't want to overstress myself with um, being in the middle of treatment. So that was very uh, helpful. And um, that's how I learned, you know, I went down to the, uh, to the center on uh, Cote St. Catherine. I actually, as a teenager, grew up a block away from there on the lapel tree. So it was just very apropos that, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an area that I know very, very well. And um, I just started getting involved with uh, the support group and uh, then learned that there's a choir, found out about the choir. Uh, my treatment was uh, only four months. So between one program and another, like it didn't take long for me to start getting involved and, and realize which ones I would stay, stick with on a regular basis. I was actually an oncology nurse as my first job in 2020. And I also found there wasn't much about Hope and Cope, but I did know the organization. I think it's so important to start spreading the word. Uh, I was speaking with Marcel and, you know, there's a lot of people that were diagnosed during COVID that are just, that don't know about it and don't know the, the effects that it can have. Um, I know that like Hope and Cope talks a lot about well-being and psychosocial support. Um, did you find it beneficial, the physical and like psycho, psychological support? Yes, 
Well, the physical support in terms of being told and you know trying out the different equipment and being evaluated and being told and going in for a couple of sessions with a I think it was somebody training to be a, a personal trainer or you know a gym trainer um, to go in and have that evaluation. I mean, I knew that I wasn't very stable and I didn't walk very well and knowing that and then seeing myself like sort of not on a chart, but knowing that it's not just my imagination that I'm sort of wobbly and not stable. And there really is a reason for it because the chemo really has a very hard, gives a very hard pounding to the body. Um, so I knew that I had to start off slow and, and easy to build myself up. And uh, I was able to have the confidence to do that. Whereas before I might've said, well, I'm in treatment, I'm in chemo, I have cancer, I can't do anything. But I thought, no, you know what? I have to keep going I, because it's something positive. The more I did that was positive, no matter how long it was, half an hour a week, an hour a week, the more I did that was positive, the less negative came upon me because there was enough to be depressed about and enough negativity. I had a lot of pain with the treatment um, and a lot of after effects and everything. So you don't feel so good altogether. So anything that I did that brought me any sense of pleasure or any sense of calmness or fulfillment, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and it was also nice to encounter other people like through the support group or through being um, evaluated at the gym or once we met uh, in person with the support group, we decided to go there and have a meeting and, and meet face to face. It was very nice to encounter people who didn't feel sorry for me as most of my family and neighbors did, but they wanted to help me in what I needed. You know, I was very weak and, and I needed muscle strengthening and I needed to do things that I like to do like singing in groups. So it seemed so unavailable to me. And here all of a sudden I found a little path that I could start doing it on a slow basis. And the fact that I was in treatment didn't freak people out because you know I was bald, I was weak, I was in pain and whatever. But I said, but I really wanna do this. And um, after my uh, treatment, I ended up going to the pool. I always enjoyed swimming and I went to Aquafit five days a week to just, just get in there and do it. And it helped me start off my morning and it gave me a good social network too because of the people that you, you're with. And I don't know if I would have had that kind of confidence to do that and to join. And I was just, my hair was, you know, tiny. It was like a millimeter. It was just starting to grow back. And I said, you know, this whole option of wigs and scarves, it's just not my style. I just didn't feel like doing that. I said, well, I'm bald, I'm bald. It could be worse. I could not be here with a full head of hair. So <laughs> I decided to just take the plunge and go. And I think that being involved with Hope and Cope, part of it gave me that confidence to just not care about it. But that's also my own personal thing. I never really cared that much. I never got a wig. I never wore scarves. I wore a hat in winter because you had to, but not because, uh, you know, because I was embarrassed that I was bald. It's, it's just, it was a part of me at that time. And I was just happy that I was getting through it and that the treatment worked for me and that it was successful because uh, of course I know other people that unfortunately was not successful and they didn't make it. So just because you're in treatment is not a guarantee that you're gonna end up well at the end of it. So I was just happy that it was working for me and my blood results were getting better at each time that I went. And um, 
that I got through the uh, the chemo treatment. My friends were also very supportive. They used to come over for a coffee, have a cappuccino machine, a little Nespresso, and I would invite them and I'd say, you know, come for a coffee, but bring something to eat because I didn't, you know, I, I don't have a chance to go to a store and pick up a cake or a pastry. So bring something and come over for a coffee. And they did, you know, and I wore a mask and we sat outdoors when we could. I, I didn't do it over the winter when it was indoors, but in the spring and summer, because from April till August is summertime, so we could be outside and you know, people would say to me, I can't believe you're under cancer treatment. I said, well, today's a good day. I'm in between. It's my good week, you know, so let's enjoy the coffee. What did you bring to eat, you know? And I just would focus on that, just sort of make a little uh, joke about it. And uh, um, so what, what's good too is that the Hope and Cope staff and volunteers, like they're trying to read you and they're trying to guide you to achieve your goals, whatever they may be. So since I have some artistic talent with you know painting and writing and sculpting and other stuff so it, it was good because it you know they they encouraged me with all of that so that that was good and I uh, continued doing it uh, I invited a couple of friends who are also artists and they would come every Sunday morning and we would paint on my belt on my patio and have a little session between the three of us and uh, it was very good I don't know if I would have had the confidence to do that you know I don't know somehow at all I thought well if I could do it online with hope and cope why can't I do it with a couple of friends at home and you know so it led from that so it, it was good and uh, also I wanted to mention that when I joined the uh, choir which is really right now a open mic group meaning that everybody performs one song there's about 12 to 15 people or so that come every week and uh I had never really done something like that on Zoom. And the um, one of the, the, the coordinator of the program, who's uh, Michelle, she said to me, you know, if you want to sound better and have good music and whatever, I like to use karaoke as my music background. So she says, you know, get a little uh, wireless uh, speaker that matches pairs with your iPhone so you can have your karaoke music and then get a microphone that'll plug into your uh, laptop and this way it'll sound very good it won't be that distorted kind of you know you can't hear the music or you can't hear the voice so I said okay sounds good so I invested some money and I got the stuff and she made a couple of zoom sessions with me to, sh to help to show me like what to do what to plug in how to pair like exactly what to do and how to control the settings and I'm forever grateful to her because it was great it, it gave me such a boost to know that Every week, like I have to prepare a song, so I started looking through, you know, all this stuff on on YouTube and whatever, and uh, all the songs that I grew up with in my seventies and eighties that I really enjoyed. So I was able to, you know, latch on to the ones that I really like, and I was able to start singing. And I was very weak and wobbly at first, you know, and warbly. And then as the time went on, I progressed, progressed, and my true voice came back because the chemo had affected my uh, vocal cords. And um, it was great. So I was able to start singing and, you know, be appreciated for the fact that I was singing, not just the fact that I'm a cancer patient or a post-cancer patient and I'm singing, but I do have a good voice. So my good voice came out and that was, that was very, very, very nice. That's, that's the thing that I appreciate the most with, with Hope and Cope is that you're not just seen as somebody with cancer, which is obviously one of the first criteria, but they try to explore the other aspects of you 
and what they could do to help you bring that out of yourself. So I, I really, really enjoy that. That's what I needed. That's for me. That was like a very big, big thing. I was not, you know, I was not a typical whiner or complainer or, oh my God, I'm paying. Like I, I hardly mentioned it. And sometimes some in the support groups or something, if somebody would say, well, are you having any symptoms? I said, oh yeah, I have so much pain. Go, you never talk about it. I said, well, what's it going to do? Let's talk about what we can do, not what we can't do. So uh, I tried to focus on the positive and on the good stuff that was going on around me and what I could do. Um, that's what kept me invigorated and, uh, you know, helped get me through the, the, the bad weeks. As you know, as an oncology nurse, you have your week of chemo. The day you get chemo, then that week is pretty bad in terms of symptoms and side effects and all kinds of pain and whatever. And then there's the next week, which you're kind of low and sort of tired and not feeling so well. And then there's that third week where I could have people in for coffee and practice my songs and, you know, do all kinds of stuff. So that's, the, that's how I handled my, uh, my treatment. Well, I'm, I'm happy to see that there is some value from this organization. I definitely mm -hmm. That people could also benefit just like you. I actually saw one of your paintings. I Googled you. Oh. And, um, on the Concordia website, um, you wrote like okay. a, a little article yes. of your beautiful painting. So I definitely I, think. I'm going to tell you something interesting. It's interesting that you brought that <laughs> painting up because just two, two weeks ago, um, a while ago, more than two weeks ago, a few months ago, I had inquired at the Montreal Holocaust Museum um, whether they would be interested in having that, that painting that I made of, um, I guess, since this is a podcast, I'll explain a little bit what the painting is. Um, it's a, a painting that I made showing myself as a very young child, maybe you know, two years old or so, sitting on the lap of my father who is drawing a picture. And the picture that he's drawing is, um, based on a drawing that he made when I was about nine years old, really, of um, the Nazis leading some Jews out of a forest. And he is a Holocaust survivor. We are actually from Poland. I came from Poland in 1960 when I was six years old. So um, he had lost most of his family. Him and two brothers survived. Everybody else was killed. And it was only in my when I was like in my early 60s that I was thinking to myself, you know, my father hardly ever talked about his war experience and the Holocaust and everything. And then I realized when he made that drawing, it was just a pencil drawing based, I think, from a photo in a newspaper or something. I realized that that was his way of expressing himself. And of course, there's a lot of pain and angst. I mean, it's the Holocaust and he, what he witnessed, what he saw, is something that stayed part of him, but he just didn't talk about it. And the painting that I decided to make shows a cute little girl sitting on the lap of a man who's actually all in green, the green signifying angst and, and kind of, you know, the difficulty of life. And behind him, what I imagine could be an image was is this Nazi guard dog, a German shepherd that's like growling and snarling in the back. And behind a curtain where we're sitting, there's um, actually a guard and you see the hand holding the collar of the uh, dog. And then down at the 
bottom of the curtain, there's some little feet and there's portraying children who are hiding behind the curtain, which is going on supposedly in my living room, which of course was sort of like a fantasy kind of thing. So that particular painting and my father's drawing, plus there's a few other drawings that he had made over the years, I had approached the Montreal Holocaust Museum and asked them whether they would like, whether they would accept this contribution from me to have in their museum. And two weeks ago, I got the news that they would like to have my painting plus my father's drawing in their permanent collection. So as I mentioned right now in Florida, and when I get back um, from Florida in uh, April, I'm gonna go over there and make the donation and, and give them you know, my painting plus my father's drawings and to know that they're gonna be preserved. And you know, usually they don't, like I'm not, I myself am not a Holocaust survivor because I was born after the war. Um, but because of the, um, um, the nature of my painting that it includes my father's drawing and he's the Holocaust survivor, they accepted my painting at the same time. I think it's a very emotionally evo evo evocative kind of painting. And I, I'm, I'm very honored and thrilled that it was accepted. And uh, yeah, and that article that you saw in Concordia because um, I'm a graduate of Concordia and uh, I don't know how it came about that they were looking for articles for something or, you know, for alumni. And I said, oh, I have an article. And I wrote an article based on that story that I just recounted now. And uh, they had a, a photo of that painting as well in the article. So that's kind of neat that you looked it up. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful painting. We'll make sure to Thank put you. it in the show notes. But uh, it's nice to see your version too, because I only read the article and I only saw the painting and I'm not an artist. So it's nice to hear your Thank version you. of what you, you painted. Thank you. <laughs> Just to go back to Hope and Cope, did any of your loved ones attend Hope and Cope with you? Um, no. No? No. no. I, I, yeah, I have a husband and three grown sons and uh, they weren't, they're not really involved. Maybe if if it wasn't COVID and if there was some uh, event or activity there that could also have benefited, maybe my husband would have come with me to something. But because everything's on Zoom, it gets very personalized, you know, like there's also a few speakers that there were some events where you had speakers, people who had been treated um, you know, I, I think it was something to call resilience, like something about how resilient people are. I don't remember the title. It was just a, maybe, you know, in the fall sometime. And, but it was on Zoom. I listened to it and there were people there who had been diagnosed with cancer like three or four separate times and had gone through three or four separate treatments over the years. And they were just so positive and so you know, I appreciate the life I have, even though I had surgeries or I had my intestine taken away, or I don't know, all kinds of horrific things. And yet there they were trying to inspire us, the listeners. And I, I had tears in my eyes just listening to these people and thinking like, oh my God, like those were my role models. Like that's what I want to be. I don't want to be, you know, whining and complaining. I want to talk about what I'm doing like, you know, in spite of having had cancer, I'm having one of my paintings in a museum, even though it's a museum of sorrow, it's not your typical museum because it's a Holocaust museum, but still it's a, it's a worthwhile life achievement. And, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that 
I was able to even, you know, have the the um, the thought to approach the museum because if you if you don't, I mean, it's yes, yes, no, no. But if you don't even try, you could never get into the first step. And what I did in approaching the museum and asking them, and the fact that they accepted it had nothing to do with me having had cancer or not. Like it, there was no room in there for that. So that's really great, you know. Um, and um, with hope and cope, though, they're there to help everybody at every different level. I'm at one certain level, other people are at other levels. Everyone treats or everyone reacts to their illness and their post illness in a different way. And um, I remember um, thinking um, at my support group, sometimes I would think in, in my own mind, like, oh my God, like these people were treated a year, like, cause I had started going to a support group while I was in treatment. So I couldn't imagine how it would be after because I could only deal with what was going on at the time. And some people who had been treated one, two, three, four, five years ago, were still talking about side effects and what they felt then and how they found it hard to get into normal life now, even though it's been two years or three years. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh my God, like, you know, they're still focused on that. It was such a long time ago. And I didn't really understand what they were going through. And the first year that I uh, finished my, the first six months that I finished my treatment after my treatment, I was so elated. I was so happy to be through with it and that I survived that I could only think of positive things to do. Like I said, oh, I'm going to take one of my paintings of these big balloons, like these balloons that fly in the sky. I have a big, big painting. I decided to make 10 posters out of it. And I gave each of those posters to my nieces, my nephews, and some very close good friends who had been extremely supportive to me. So I gave that to them as a gift, you know, and they're like, what? And I said, yeah, I, I want to celebrate that I'm alive and that, you know, that I could do this. And I felt great. And then somehow after that phase, I started getting depressed. You know, I started thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't feel good. And I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, now I understand what those people and those support groups were talking about. It just, it hit me a bit later or whatever. And I reached out to somebody at Hope and Cope um god her name anyway she was a coordinator of the, one of the programs and she was the one that i was in touch with by email uh, originally to find out about different programs and whatever and i uh, i think she's a she was a social worker uh student she wasn't a social worker but she was getting her social work degree and I think maybe this was her practicum or something like that anyways i reached out to her and she got me in touch with a psychologist that is specifically geared towards the oncology department, which I never would have found. And through her email, and, and she actually made the request, I guess, as a social worker, she's allowed to make a request on my behalf. So then I was able to get into the psychology department, I guess. And I had uh, a, number, a few sessions with these psychologists that is especially selected to work with people from the oncology department. And um, it, it was very uh, beneficial and it was very, very good and helped me bring certain understandings about myself. And that was through Hope and Cope, even though Hope and Cope is not part of the hospital, but somehow she had the um, ability to get me connected. So I really appreciate that too, that they're not just working in a bubble, like it's only the programs in their building and in what they're doing, 
but that they are able to expand and to meet the needs of people as they come up. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, what could you tell listeners the key is to keeping a positive mindset despite the health challenges? Because you keep saying that you stayed positive and I think that's great, but I think a lot of people struggle with that. So what are some tips that you might help? Well, what, what I find works for me is to focus on the positive activities that I know will bring me pleasure and positive reinforcement and boost my self-esteem so that I don't, I don't fall down the deep hole. It's very easy to fall down the hole because even though I finished my treatment, but because of COVID, it's like a double whammy my fear of getting COVID and of being the one that's gonna end up in the hospital on a respirator because I won't be able to fight it. I, I don't know if I'll be the one who just have cold-like symptoms, like a headache and almost everybody I know, all my friends, most of my kids, most of my relatives have had COVID. Some have had worse, some have had you know milder symptoms, some have worse symptoms, but nobody ended up in hospital and nobody ended up fighting for their life. Yet we know that thousands of people, you know, have been dying. I don't know what their situations are. So my fear of because of COVID and I'm limited in going out, I don't go to concerts. I don't eat inside restaurants. I don't eat outside being in Florida right now. I can. And in the summer in Montreal, I eat, if I eat out anywhere, it's got to have outdoor seating or else I, I don't go in because you have to take off your mask. I go everywhere with a mask. I go into grocery stores with a mask. Um, the first year of COVID, I, while I was under treatment, I didn't even let anybody into my house. I only met them outside in the backyard. Now I let people in the house and they could come in without a mask. But for a year, for two years, I made everybody wear a mask. I wore a mask. Um, so I had to look for activities and things that I could still do, even though I'm limited, even though I'm not in cancer treatment and I don't have any pain or anything right now still i'm limited so i have to do the things that's why the doing the open mic thing um with hope and cope on mondays and i have another group that i do on fridays um i enjoy swimming so i go swimming because i know that that's going to be positive no matter how i feel when i wake up or if i don't feel like it and because you know five days a week or six days a week it's a lot but I push myself. I said, don't think about it. Like, don't evaluate. Do you want to go? Do you not want to go? You're going. Just get up, get that bathing suit and go out there. And once I'm there and, and doing and swimming, I feel like a normal person because I'm in the pool and I'm doing my thing and it's great, you know? Um, so the thing is to realize the kinds of things that you like to do. Like when I go back to my sculpting studio, it's a very small studio. There's just um, four or five people at a time there and everyone's got their own workspace um, we're not on, on top of each other or anything I happen to wear a mask while I'm there all the time but I don't impose on other people to wear a mask um, I figured you know they're, they're, everyone's been vaccinated nobody would come if they're sick I assumed that they would respect you know just just general good health not to if you know you've got COVID you're not going to be going to a studio or something so, um, and I enjoy it. And then when I'm there, my, my whole past and everything to do with my cancer just disappears because what we're focusing on, we're focusing on art, we're focusing on our relationships, we're having coffee together. People are talking about whatever they're talking about and you know, you join in or 
participate any way you can. So that's what I tend to do is I tend to focus on the things that always used to, I like to do for years before. And I just, if I can, I just go back to doing those things so that I reconnect with myself the way I was before I had the cancer. Because even though I, I did have cancer, there is more to me than having had the cancer. Like it's a brief period of time. It was just four months of treatment. Uh, the fear of cancer coming back is another issue. So sometimes I do get freaked out. I had a bit of a scare before uh, in November, I went for a um, uh, routine mammogram, part of my two year mammogram program and they found something and I, I ended up going for a biopsy and till I got the news that it was benign, it took two weeks to get the results of the biopsy. I was beside myself and I was telling myself, calm down. I couldn't like go to the music. I couldn't do anything. You know, I was in a state of just complete fear and, and, and anxiousness, very anxious about the whole thing. And then when I finally got the news that it was benign, it's funny, the doctor called me and um, when I picked up the phone and then he, he introduced who he was, I burst out crying even before he said anything because I was so like just, and then when he said, oh, it's good news, I'm calling to say it's benign. I, I just, I couldn't even talk. I threw the phone at my husband and I said, you listen to the details, I can't even talk. I'm, I was so beside myself and it made me realize how wound up I was. And then, you know, after I hung up, I said, okay, deep breathe, like sit down, do a little relaxation, do a little mind relaxation, like deep breathe and think of something positive to just decompress because I was like beside myself. So um, yeah, these things will come up every time I, I go, you know, like I was going every three months for a blood test, excuse me. And um sometimes every six months of course the day you know the day leading the day before or two days before I go okay that blood test it's not the blood test it's the result like what will they tell me will they tell me the cancer came back will they tell me something else happened will they so till I go through that process and come out on the other side and he says oh your levels are good blah 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 it's a very anxiety provoking situation so I try to just calm myself down and, and go through it. Um, one little cute little story I have is one day after my um, chemo treatment, what I used to do is at the Jewish General, they have a second cup downstairs on the first floor. So sometimes to give myself a little treat, after I did the chemo, I was there for six hours, I would go down and I would um, get myself a coffee and just sit there and drink the coffee and you know wait for my husband to pick me up. So one day I went in line and I ordered a coffee and a muffin and I pulled my credit card and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, you can't take a credit card. Something's wrong with my, our machines, cash only. And I said, oh, you're kidding. What about debit? She goes, no, sorry, no credit, no debit. There's something wrong with our system, only cash. And I said, oh, I don't have any cash. I, I, you know, I went out of the house and I didn't even take $5, like nothing. Anyways, a man standing behind me um, comes up beside me. He sees, you know, I'm bald and I've got a mask on. Obviously, I'm in the hospital, you know, most probably for cancer treatment. He comes up behind me and he says, I'll take a coffee and a croissant and put her bill on mine, you know. And I turned to him and I had tears in my eyes from the kindness, like a complete stranger. And I said to him, that is so kind of you. Like, thank you so much. Because I, I felt almost embarrassed. Like, 
she had already given me the muffin and she couldn't take it back because, you know, you can't take food back and forth. It's COVID times and I'm holding the muffin. The coffee's on the other side and I'm thinking like, what do I do now? You know, it was so embarrassing. And he says to me, I know how you feel. I've been under treatment myself and now I'm okay, but it's nothing. I'm so happy to have helped you. So that was like a cute little story. And I sort of thought if Hope and Cope was around and they were giving out that coffee, I could have had that coffee, <laughs> you know? So sometimes you think like, you know, if Hope and Cope is there and they're giving out a coffee or a sandwich or whatever, and you think, what's the big deal? Like, you know, people are here getting chemo and they're giving out a coffee or a, I don't know, a, you know, some sort of drink or a snack. And you think, what's the big deal? But it is a big deal because we all want some sort of comfort food and some sort of reinforcement. Because for me, after I got chemo to go down and get a coffee was like a normal thing because that's what we did we went for coffee and you, you got a coffee and a muffin type of thing. So it was a bit of normalcy to sort of decompress before I went home because I knew it was coming after I got home. You know, the next day I wouldn't be feeling very well. So even though I didn't experience Hope and Cope giving out that coffee, I had that experience of having somebody care enough about me to give me that coffee. And it made me realize that that's like a very important thing that Hope and Cope do is that they help normalize a situation that's not normal to begin with so just a little story well i think it's a great tip like to go downstairs after your treatment and do something more normal i think it's something that i wouldn't even have thought of as like an oncology nurse trying to give some advice to to my patients and also i think with hope and cope is also paying it forward in the sense that you know their volunteers were cancer survivors so I think that's great too, because they're paying for what they experienced at Hope and Cope. So I think there's yeah. sides to the coin. So talking about stress and those stressful results, what, what does stress mean to you? What is? Well, stress to me is anxiety and fear <laughs> rolled up in one. <laughs> um, I don't get so stressed about other things in life because I mean, what happens is that once I finished my cancer treatment, and then there's a certain little period where you get enough of your strength back, and, and you know that you're not going to be going for that chemo like every three weeks. My, my protocol was one day every three weeks. So once you, that period is over, the rest of life comes back. Because for that time that I'm in treatment, if my kids were having problems, or if there were issues, or friends were having problems everyone tried to minimize they didn't want to load onto me stuff like you know so I was kind of protected in that way in a bit of a bubble but once that's finished the rest of life comes back and whatever problems were there before are still there or are going to be continuing so um for me um my family my uh, children their own health um relationships they're in, how things are going, how their life is working out. Whereas for about six months, I didn't really care. Like I, I cared, but I didn't really because I was so focused on my treatment and feeling better and eating properly and trying to have the strength to go on from week to week that whatever they said, it was sort of like superficial and wasn't important to me. It was like, I like, who cares? <laughs> That's what I was really thinking. But after that, I realized that I've become a bit jaded. And I said to myself, I have to become less jaded 
and start finding importance in what's going on around me and what my friends are telling me about what their issues are, their problems are. If somebody's having a knee replacement or this or that, you know, there's concerns. For me, when I get stressed and anxious and frightened, then I make a conscious effort to try to get myself grounded again to evaluate what is really happening and what, what is happening in my imagination so that I, I don't carry, get carried away with my fears. And I say, well, you know, wait till you get the actual test result before you overreact because it's easy to start thinking, oh my God, oh my God, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? And I said, you know, just, just stop and think of it one day at a time and wait till you actually get the results. Try to do something good. The more I do that's, positive then the less time I have to be negative I remember once uh, reading somewhere years ago that you cannot have a negative and a positive thought at the same time in your brain so once I see I'm starting to get on a negative trend I say to myself okay think of something positive think of something you've accomplished think of what your kids have accomplished what where we're living in a very nice area um, Think of something good that, that is coming about to kind of erase the negative. So I found that very helpful for me. That was one way. Also doing physical activity was a great de-stressor. Like the swimming, if I go swimming and I'd be uh, doing an aquafit class for you know almost an hour and uh, then I come out and it's just, you just, I just felt different. You know, I said, okay, I'm ready. Like sometimes people would say, oh, I'm so tired. How could you come here five days a week? And I go, I love it. It just brings me up because I don't get tired. I find it invigorates me. It's just like a kickstart for the day and then I can carry on with the rest of the day. So that's, um, that's what I do to get out of a, a very stressful state of being. I think that's great. And I think people will find it comforting that, you know, you said you don't, at the time when you were in treatment, what you cared about is getting through the treatment and not everything else. And I think you have to validate those feelings. And a lot of people don't find it normal. They feel like they're, they're like trying to deal with this. And at the same time, trying to deal with what's going on at home. And I think it's, it's nice and comforting to know that they're not alone in that. And also um, we are doing a workshop on stress and like coping with stress. And one of the activities you wanna do is journaling and specifically like gratefulness, three things that you're grateful for in the morning. Right. And I think that's, I hope that people will use that and they'll find a positive impact because I do think that a positive outlook on life will help through your journey and after. Um, a lot of our other participants mentioned during their podcast that um, just take it day by day and to appreciate the little things in life despite the health battles. So I'm assuming that you share the same, same viewpoint on that. Yeah, yeah, that um, since uh, my treatment, I was diagnosed with a certain inflammatory condition that brings me pain. And there are periods where I have pain, like now today, you know, I don't mean this instant, but there's periods of the day where I have pain and there's other times where I don't, it comes and goes and I'm working on it with diet and some medication and whatever, because um, a lot of it is influenced by diet. And um, when I am not in a state of pain and I'm just lying on the couch and I'm playing bridge online on my iPad or something, 
I'll stop and I go, I don't have any pain right now. Like enjoy it. <laughs> like enjoy not having pain because in a few hours I could have pain again. That's the thing about appreciating like a small little thing, you know, keeping in touch with my friends. It's, it's very important for me. My friends have always been very important to me in my life and keeping in touch with them and, you know, calling them, seeing how they're doing, seeing what they're doing. Um, not, I mean, I am interested. I'm not faking an interest, but it's important to keep doing that because it's very easy for people to go on their own paths and their own things and they're doing their things. And, you know, it's so easy to slip out of touch with people, with family, with people. So I make a conscientious effort to keep in touch with my family, with my friends, um, through uh, FaceTime, through text, through emails. It's just like a little text, you know, how you doing? We're thinking about you with a little heart type of thing. Sounds almost like silly, like I'm 12 years old. But, you know, when I get that back, when I get a little text, like that I, it, it's a lift it's like oh isn't that cute like isn't that sweet and I really appreciate that um, with journaling I think it's a great way to find some introspection about what's going on in your life because for me journaling is really exposing myself to myself it's one place where I can write the truth and put it out there and then read it back and say to myself, like, oh, is that how I feel? Because sometimes we're so conditioned not to show our feelings and not to express our feelings too much or be, you know, aware of other people around us and not freak people out and uh, be polite and be this and be that and be whatever, which is true and good most of the time. But there's times when um, we're past that and it's, um, we're past that and the only place we can express it is to our inner selves, which we can acquire through journaling, because it's not something like in, in normal conversation. You know, when people call up and say, hi, how are you doing? They don't want to hear, oh, I'm in pain. Or <laughs> they they want to hear like, if you say, well, I'm not doing so well today, whatever. They, they want to code it a little bit, you know, and, and make it a little sweet so that it's not too sharp and too brusque. But the fact is that at times in life we are going through things that are very difficult to to cope with and yet we have to get through it yet we have to keep on going and I don't want to be in a bad bitchy mood all the time I I want to be positive and I, I don't want to get it like when um, we come to the choir type of thing and you know you like I said each person performs a song and says hi and whatever like I don't want to say oh hi I'm in pain but I'll sing anyway I just I just want to sing my thing. I just want to perform. It's, it's beside the point. So I, I wish other people did that too. And I think that it's that old thing. The more you do it, the more you'll believe it. And the more you believe it, the more you'll do it. You know, act as if. And uh, eventually something subsides and passes. And then I, I really am in good. You know, even if I go out for an ice cream cone, like a simple little thing, go out for an ice cream cone and eat it and walk back and forth and uh, come back and say like, oh, well, that was such a nice evening. This has to be a giant glamorous thing. You know, it could be a very, very small thing. And because I'm having some issues with uh, that are diet based in terms of certain foods um, bring up an acid level that's not tolerable by me. So I'm on a restricted diet. So when I go to a restaurant now, I have to be very, very selective what I eat or else I'm going to be in pain. And usually going out to re restaurants was such a pleasurable thing. And now I sometimes cringe and go like, uh, 
Are they going to have what, what will be okay for me? So, um, but yet I'll go out with friends and celebrate and try to choose, you know, the least offensive thing that I can eat. <laughs> That'll be good for me and still enjoy the evening and enjoy the other aspects and just not be going, oh, I wish I could have had that lasagna or I wish I could have had because I can't have tomato based products, which is a lot of Italian food. So instead of moaning and groaning about what I can't have, I go, okay, what can I eat here and just enjoy it, you know? It's so inspiring to hear you and like the way that you're so <laughs> no, now I think back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I complain so much and like I have nothing to complain about. So no, it's nice to hear. Um, and also to bring back to journaling, I was actually reading some studies and just like you said, a lot of the participants in these studies said that self-disclosure and just um, you kind of find out what you need based on what you write and sometimes you don't even realize it because you don't have time to voice it because you don't want to be a burden on someone so right. you're like you're not the only one who who experienced that with journaling so I hope I can convey that during our workshop because it also helps it helps a person position themselves once you you know if you can express I'm afraid I'm this I'm that I'm whatever then you can try to move forward, but you can't move forward if you don't even acknowledge what it is that you're going through or what it is that you're feeling or, or what emotion you're actually feeling. We don't, we don't even always recognize it. And once we can recognize it, you know, to, to move forward, you have to know where you're starting from. And that's what I found with the journaling. And um, actually there was a program by Hope and Cope I forget the name, it wasn't journaling, but it was led by a woman and there were three of us and she gave us some guidelines and we had to write something based on a few questions. It's a technique, but I can't recall the name right now of the actual technique, but um, she would give us some, some prompt questions and then we would write on that, but we had to start off each of our statements in a certain, like a certain way. Like, I think this, or I think, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, I can't remember right now exactly what it was, but the fact that we had to do it in that way, um, I remember when we were doing the exercise, and at first, she, you know, I think like, well, it's so awkward, why can't I just write what I want, or why do I have to follow a format, and whatever, but in the end, it was very, very helpful, because it forced me to think in a certain way that I wouldn't normally think, and after doing that, I was able to get down to the bare bones of what it is that I was trying to say because I followed the format. So I found it very, very um, inspirational and also listening to the other people who then, because we read out what we wrote, it was a Zoom thing and we read out what we wrote. And it was, I think the three or four sessions um, and you had to you know, commit to all of them. And it was a very, very good exercise that, and that was also uh, sponsored by Hope and Cope by somebody. It was very, very well done. It wasn't exactly journaling, but it was a certain technique that uh, had components of journaling in it. It was very, very good. Well, from the research that I've been doing, there's actually a few forms of journaling. One of them is actually visual journaling, which is basically painting and art. Oh. Which I think I never is an knew interesting that. <laughs> topic. If ever you want to volunteer for Hope and Cope, the that's okay. a really great. Um, there's a lot of studies on it, and they say it's a great way to convey because a lot of people don't want to write or they think like writing is a chore. So 
visually it can be more appealing and more fun so it's always uh, something to oh, bring maybe maybe that is i didn't realize that they did that at hope and cope well they don't but we could we could bring okay it. we could we start could be, it we could start it i mean right. um is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you think would be helpful to talk about i have a couple of things that i wanted to mention so yes i think hope and cope was a very important part of my journey from being um diagnosed you know in the emergency a shock of my life i thought when i went to emergency that i maybe had onset uh, adult onset asthma because i couldn't breathe well so i thought they're going to tell me you have asthma you need a puffer i'm going to get a puffer and go home i never imagined in a million years they were going to tell me i had cancer and um while i was in treatment and uh, following um some of the programs at hope and cope I was getting to know others who had cancer and I got to know them for their interests and talents rather than for their illness. The fact that, like to me, the fact that we had the illness, have it or had it, it's a factor the same way that I have short hair or I have, you know, one color hair or my eyes are blue. It's a factor, but it didn't determine the whole person. So that's what to me was the most important thing that I gleaned for myself is that the cancer doesn't define me. I am so much more than the cancer. The cancer was one thing, was a big thing, but I have so many more other things to focus on and so many other things to do and so many other goals that I want to accomplish in my life that it's almost like in spite of the cancer, I'm still able to do it. That's the way I kind of feel. It's good that hope and cope keep in mind that once we finish our treatment, the rest of our life returns. And slowly, and you have, we have to rely on our interests and our talents and move forward. And Hope and Cope helps with that, with the programs that they're doing, because you can start doing it while you're in treatment or after your treatment. Like they have their own art program, I know. They, they do painting, they do a few other things. I don't know, I don't know the whole range of programs that they have. Um, and it's great. And I think that once COVID subsides some more and people's immunities are more stable and they're able to go out more, then there'll probably be more participation in, the, in, their, uh, in their place on uh, Cote St. Catherine than there have been over the last couple of years. I think it's been pretty low key because I know with the choir, we're talking about trying to meet in person in the spring or summer and, and getting back into being a choir. I've never been, I've only participated with them when they've been on Zoom. So I've never been in the choir when they're a real choir, you know, getting their repertoire together to perform, I don't know where. Um, so hopefully some of the other programs will be coming back also. Well, what's nice is that we actually went to Hope and Cope to visit and the rooms are pretty big and they are following COVID guidelines. We do have to wear a mask and everything. Yeah. So it, it, it is better than other places if you want to gather. Um, and lastly, if you could give advice to our listeners, what's one piece of advice you would give regarding stress management? I know you've given a lot. <laughs> well, I think the most important thing is to try to demystify the stress in terms of not letting fears or the stress accumulate and sort of get out of hand till it becomes like so big that you know it sort of takes over your life 
um, before it gets to that point, um, sort of do a little fact check, like what am I so stressed about? What is it exactly? And don't underestimate other people around you. Look, sometimes we think, oh, I can't say something to somebody. They're not going to understand. They're not going to this. They're not going to that. Or I don't want to impose on them or I don't want to be a burden or whatever. Um, I think that we can. To If it helps to de-stress us, then I think that we can make requests of friends and family around us or professionals or people that we're seeing or the doctor. Like sometimes, you know, I have some questions in mind and I don't write them down. And then I go for my appointment at the hospital. I forget to ask a few important questions. And once you miss that opportunity, then I leave. It's so difficult to get back in there. Like my next appointment is in three months. Like, you know, to sort of say, oh, I forgot to ask this and that. Um, so it's like to to assert yourself a little bit, like don't don't be a victim because, you know, because you have a right to ask things and you have a right to not demand things, but to 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 appreciate that other people around you may be more accommodating than we give them credit. And that may help de-stress a situation and that if you can identify the activities that you like to do, which bring you positive, good feelings find every opportunity to do them every day. Find something every day that gives you a good positive feeling because if you don't go out and search it or create the opportunity for it, the day will just pass by. The day passes by and you could not go out, you could lie on the couch all day, you could be depressed, you could um, not wanna participate in anything. Like you could, all these things that you, don't want to do nothing will happen to change it unless you you have to take that proactive step and say I want to change what's going on around me I want to move forward I want to do something positive and only you as an individual know what that movement is what that step is nobody can tell you what it is they can tell you to take a step but they can't tell you what's going to be um, the opposite of your trigger point that is a negative feeling bring on a positive feeling because you can feel positive and negative at the same moment at the same time. So the more positive things you do and the more positive things you think about, the less of the negativity and maybe it'll take a smaller picture in your head or a smaller space in your head, uh, the negativity. Um, otherwise, it just, you know, spirals and it just becomes worse and worse and becomes more difficult. So I think reaching out, I know that I um, this isn't to do with uh, hope and cope, but at the hospital, they have a pivot nurse that you can call uh, or contact by email and ask questions. And many times I would, you know, email something. Sometimes she couldn't help me with something or it wasn't her area of expertise or it wasn't in her realm of responsibility. So then I knew that and I would try to find somebody else to, to help me with something. But you have to reach out. You have to reach out and... Um, um, enjoy the things that you're doing because the opportunities to enjoy things um, come about because you make the effort to have them uh, come to you. So that's, that would be my final thing. I know sort of convoluted answer, but. <laughs> no, I think that will be super helpful for our listeners. And I think that I should just reiterate Hope and Coast's mission is to help people cope with cancer, 
by providing psychosocial support and practical resources that help patients regain a sense of control, well-being, reduce isolation, and restore hope. And it's easily accessible and open to all. So um, from everything you said, I encourage all our listeners to go on their website and check out this month's calendars of activities. Uh, and maybe just sign up for one. I think from everything I've heard about Hope, Can, Hope and Cope, they will welcome you with open arms. And um, even if you're not talented, I think you'll still find something that you, you'll enjoy. So I just want to say thank you. And we appreciate your participation in this podcast and being completely open with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.